Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to somebody who's helped shape the city. This week I'm joined by a Mancunian MasterChef winner and owner of Wood Restaurants, Simon Wood. He'll tell us about how his passion for food first started. When I went to my grandma's, we always ended up, there was something different all the time. I'd get to be like looking at these stews that she used to make and when you see a rabbit for the first time and you've never seen one, it's, it's different. It's an experience you remember. And he describes the journey from working as a data analyst to winning MasterChef 2015. I always thought I could do it and I never found myself probably mentally right to be able to do it. And like I say, I lost my temper that morning and thought, screw it, I'm giving it a go. Gives me great pleasure to welcome to the studio a man who's rated as one of the finest chefs this region has ever produced. He also won the uh, BBC Television MasterChef 2015 and recently opened his own restaurant in this beautiful city of ours. 
Mr. Simon Wood, welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester. Hi, Clint. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome, man. It's Pleasure. great to see you. And uh, we have met before. We're from the same town, aren't we, Alders? We certainly are, yeah. We're both Alders, although I'm slightly older than you. Tell us, first of all, let's talk about where your story started, where and when were you born? Uh, 1976 at Boundary Park Hospital in Oldham. Right on the other side of Oldham Edge from where I used to live. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, did you grow up in Oldham after that? Did you stay in Oldham? Yeah, still am. Uh, A bit further out towards Saddleworth now, but yeah, I'm I'm Oldham born and bred, I guess. Are you a fan of how the town centre has changed over recent years? Because a lot of the iconic things that we grew up with, like Mumps Bridge and and the railway station at Mumps, they were demolished, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, it's it's changed, definitely. Whether it's for the better, I I don't know. I guess change is essential wherever you are, but sometimes some of the nicer things should should remain. And I suppose as with Manchester City Centre, some of the changes that we've seen, it takes a few years to see whether it's um, been a successful sort of procedure. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Oldham, but uh, I'm, I'm still an Oldham and born and bred. I'm still very proud of it. What kind of childhood did you have in Oldham, Simon? Usual stuff, I guess. You know, chippy tea on a Friday. You know, all that kind of thing that, that you'd normally get, go to your grandma's and, you know, you, you have cooking lessons there and bits and bobs is one of my things that I, I recall the most is learning yeah. to cook with my grandma. So Grandma Bertha. Yeah. It's a great name, Bertha, isn't it? Yeah. I grew up with a few Berthas and you don't hear of it anymore as a, a name, do you? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, doesn't ex- it doesn't really exist. No, yeah. but great. You know, if I have another baby, I might call it Bertha. Bertha Boone. I think there was an Auntie Bertha in our family, actually. I think she lived in Oldham. And uh, how did you do at school? Um, all right. I, I don't think I was maybe not the cleverest. Did did okay. Average, I guess. And then was heavily into food. For some reason, decided to do art at college. I liked my rock music at the time, liked drawing. Thought college doing art would be um, an easy life, <laughs> I think, if I'm genuinely honest. Hey, don't laugh, because that, that yeah. was the same with me. And most of the podcast guests have done really well in art at school yeah. and not much else. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got to college, it wasn't that way at all. It was a lot about art, art history. You actually had to be a bit clever to do it. You couldn't just sit in a room and draw. And then I was working at McDonald's, in earning, earning a bit of money. Yeah, first job. Wow. That's What year would that have been then? October 92, I started there. So there's a good chance you served me a burger. Probably. I used yeah. to be mad on McDonald's. I remember when McDonald's arrived in Oldham for the first time ever. Probably in, actually, I say I'm a lot older than you. probably in the 1970s, late 70s maybe. I remember thinking... It was that good. I loved it that much that I remember I used to say to my mates, I can't wait to be rich enough where I can just walk into McDonald's and just buy food and eat it until I'm sick. I don't feel the same way about McDonald's no, anymore. No, neither of us do. <laughs> it sort of ticks a box, doesn't it? Yeah. Ticks a box, especially when you've got loads of kids that are just, uh, I'm hungry, Dad, I'm hungry. All right, then, let's get a Mackie D. And uh, what school was it you went to? Did you say Radcliffe? Radcliffe School, right. yeah. And how did you do um, academically? Uh, okay, nothing, nothing outstanding, I don't think. Just uh, above average. Right. But your love of preparing and making food came from those little sessions with your granny. Yeah, definitely. we always did. I guess that's where I, I had my horizons broadened with that. Obviously, we uh, we lost dad when I was eleven, so mum was at work full time. There was my sister Joanna, and you know we had like family teas as, as it is then, and it was always the usual stuff: you know, Finder's crispy pancakes, fish fingers. You'd have the odd stew, roast yeah. dinner with your nan and granddad on a Sunday and things like that, chippy on a Friday. Yeah. Um, but when I went to my grandma's, we always ended up like there was something different all the time. You know, she had a chip pan that had dripping in it. So chips were always different. Yeah. Um, like eating rabbit stew, just seeing different things like tripe. It's like, oh, there's, there's more to food than what you see sometimes, you know, when, yeah. when you're at home. And that's where my real interest peaked. And then obviously we'd make cakes and baking and things like that. And then 
I'd get to be like looking at these stews that she used to make. And when you see a rabbit for the first time and you've never seen one, it's like, it's different. It's an experience you remember. And it, it's just stuck. It's always been a passion. Do you mention music? You mentioned rock. Do you mean rock as in metal? Or was that your first music love? Yeah, pretty much. White Snake, Bon Jovi, Marillion, Ozzy Osbourne is, I guess, where I started. Fell into the Manchester scene because you couldn't, you couldn't not. I guess at the time I was, yeah. I was at school at the time when, you know, In Spirals, Stone Roses, James, Northside, all these bands were at the peak. I think and yeah. it was like when Manchester was. It kind of built itself around that time, I think, more so than anything else. In my head, anyway, that's when I noticed Madchester or whatever you, whatever way you want to put it. Affleck's Palace and Oldham Street and all those kind of things. I imagine that must have been a weird transition for a rock fan to move from rock over to Madchester, baggy indie. Yeah, I don't think the two are far removed. They're kind of both a little bit cultish. And I lived in Manchester. I always still liked the rock all the way through. And I progressed then from where I was with the Manchester music to Guns N' Roses, Pantera, Cannibal Corpse, you know, all kinds of different like <laughs> things. So my music taste is quite eclectic. But yeah, at times in your life when you're at senior school and you're, you're learning about yourself and you're going on school trips and getting up to no good and mischief and all the rest of it was around the time when the Manchester bands were very prevalent with Paisley Top and flared jeans and all the rest of it. And I suppose that era was probably the first time you were able legally to come out to a gig and have a drink maybe no i was i, I was younger even yeah. for the manchester scene yeah to be yeah. honest yeah right. yeah just i probably like missed out on like the hacienda and places like that by yeah. a couple of years so if, you would have been 14 1990 would have been 14 wouldn't you yeah so definitely not going in the hacienda no 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 not legit anyway no no i think <laughs> i think i managed to duck myself into jillies once over when i was about 15 but i've never looked the oldest uh, especially when i was a kid so it wasn't easy to get away with things like that, I'm afraid. And I remember, like me growing up in Oldham, Manchester was this exotic city. Yeah, miles away. In the, it was it was eight miles, but it's like just the other side of the country. It's yeah. Like, and we very rarely went down there. My mum and dad and me, you know, me, me and my brother and sister went down there occasionally. Yeah. Maybe once every couple of years, so I have a walk around and look at the shops. But it was like this big metropolis, wasn't it? Yeah, down, yeah. Down it was. Hill. It was like another world. And what was it like for you when you first started going into that city? I think daunting is the only way I can put it. You see things that you don't see growing up. You probably see them now, maybe in Oldham, but at the time, you may be quite sheltered, and then you come down to Manchester, and you see, you remember like going in the arcade, seeing Guardian Angels and all this kind of thing that was like, what's going on here? There's buskers, there's people. You didn't quite get it, and it was mm -hmm. very overwhelming, I think, at times. Yeah. But following on from like working at McDonald's and progressing, and I've always worked in city centre, so Manchester's been where I've, I've worked in city centre since I was 19. And that was working for, for restaurants? No, no, it wasn't. Obviously, having children at a young age, going into a kitchen when you're 17 with a baby and isn't the... It's just, it's just not feasible. You can't do it. The way it worked was I worked seven while four and then mum worked four while midnight. Okay. And we, we swapped shifts to make ends meet and did it. Obviously, by the time I was 24... I had three under fives, so that was far more difficult than running a restaurant, let me tell you. Yeah, I can uh, imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I went to work in IT in an office, ended up being a data scientist, as the story goes. I had a bad day at work, applied for MasterChef, because I've always kept up, in my head, what I consider to be cooking to a professional standard. Maybe not as knowledgeable then as what I am now. You know, you've learned a lot in the, in the time since MasterChef, hell of a lot. 
But yeah, that's that's where that went. One bad day in the office, applied to Master Chef, and then never looked back. And until that point, it was pretty much just a hobby or a passion of yours. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to do like little bits of events, I guess. You know, like dinner parties, um, nothing thingy. I'd do some outside catering for maybe local events or weddings and things like that. Yeah. I don't just mean a buffet. I mean something a little bit more than that because I was good at it. Yeah. And yeah, there you go. One thing led to another. And So it was literally one bad day in the office and you just thought, I'm going to try this Master Chef thing. Did you think for one minute at that point that you might A, get accepted, B, win it? Do you know what? I was always one of them people that sat at home, like we all do, watching whatever people watch, whether it be X Factor or The Voice or Master Chef, Bake Off, Great British Menu. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And then I always thought I could do it. And I never found myself probably mentally right to be able to do it. And like I say, I lost my temper that morning and thought, screw it, I'm giving it a go and did. I've always watched it. Even from being a kid, I watched MasterChef when it was Lloyd Grossman and there was Junior MasterChef and all kinds of different things. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to give it a go. And, you know, the first time of trying, I got on there and won it. Went and bloody won it. Yeah. Young lad from Oldham. Yeah. Starting with, stood next to his granny. Yeah. Bertha. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Couple of little yeah. fairy tale, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I get up every day now and do what I wanted to do all my life and enjoy it. So, you know, very lucky. Amazing. And the funny thing about that, you won it, but you couldn't tell anybody because it's filmed months in advance of the screening, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's a, there's a three-month gap, which is, well, a quarter of a year, isn't it? It's, <laughs> a lot can happen in a quarter of a year. Even in Oldham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah even in sleepy Oldham. But um, it's really weird because I, I think I won it on the Thursday. We went out to dinner at the Mandarin Oriental by Heston Blumenthal. Got completely hammered, got to be honest, not going to lie. Can't remember what I ate. I had to phone him the next morning and said, what did I have to eat at Heston's last night? Because I didn't take any photos or anything. It was like a bit of a blur. Got the train home, saw my little girl on the Sunday, back in the office on Monday. Oh, where have you been? Oh, I've, Long story, best left untold, a few personal things, blah, blah, blah. I left it at that. Everyone thought I was really ill. Really? So, I, I, so much time <laughs> off work. That's, what, that's the conclusion that they came to. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I watched Match of the Day and then went to work on, on the Monday morning, sat at my desk, back in data science, away I go for three months and you're like what's happening what am I going to do you can't talk about it you can't do anything you don't know what's going to happen you've got no media training you've got no nothing then all of a sudden you pop up on MasterChef and life starts gathering momentum one of the things I guess speaking honestly is when I back then I wasn't the best like public speaker holding a room presentations at work things like that wasn't my bag at all very nervous not not into it and that was probably my biggest worry it was never the food it was everything that came with it that you, you've got no media training for, no nothing. So one thing leads to another and you, you're going through the process and it's building. You're doing radio interviews for the first time. You're doing newspaper interviews and all kinds of different things that you're just not prepared for. Mm. So you have to grow dramatically as a person and then all of a sudden you win it and the next news, you're on live TV in the morning. And the front page of the tabloids, you know, this, yeah, this yeah, era, yeah. you know, the 2015 yeah. to now, it's like front page news. This yeah, stuff, you, your life isn't your own. <laughs> There's been some random incidents where like, you've seen people like, looking where you live, driving up and down the street, who don't know you at all, yeah. uh, writing your letters, sending you things. And sometimes it's a little bit, mm, it's a lot to contend with, especially Absolutely. when you've got kids at home and you don't know where you quite stand with it. So that's just from, through winning MasterChef. I don't know how these people that are like stellar, mega celebrities cope with stuff like that. Very, oh, we get by, yeah. Simon. We get, we get by. <laughs> it's, it's definitely strange when you've never 
dealt with it before. Because it is just overnight, and it's probably yeah. probably more so than an X Factor winner, isn't it? Because he, he, she has got months of the process starting to happen. But... And more so with that, you find with an, an X Factor contestant, they're a different kind of person to a chef. Yeah. They've gagged for that level yeah, yeah. of celebrity. They, they, they are um, more extrovert. They, yeah. they want to be in the, the spotlight. And you do as a chef, but you want to do it with a pan in your hand, <laughs> not, not a microphone. <laughs> Spatula. Yeah. And uh, it's no different. We are like, I guess, you know, you've heard the phrase like rock and roll type equivalent in the kitchen and all that. And yeah, there is a bit of that. And it, mm. it's great when you, you cook in and people are watching you, then they're enjoying it. And it's no different to probably being on stage and being a singer. That's why I've got the open kitchen at the restaurant because you want people to see that you're there, yeah. that you are the real deal. You're not just some clown off the telly. This is what you do and you're good at it. So you get to a point from being wanting to hide in the shadows to grow into, say, this is where we are, this is what we do. Come and try it. Being a showman, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's also, it's what the consumer wants these days. They want to see that. It's like the open plan kitchen thing is what we all know and love in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, I think it works really well. That's one of the, the key points for me when I, I drew the restaurant by hand. I drew the kitchen, the equipment, everything, and I drew the actual restaurant. And every seat in there, you can watch the show. And it's funny, you sometimes get a second to look out in service and the entire room's looking at you. Yeah. They're not talking to the wife, you know, the partner or whoever that, that they're in there with. They're all watching the kitchen. They're watching the show. Yeah. And your restaurants, when I'm out, I've had the pleasure of eating in there with my family and it's... Uh, it's not the kind of restaurant where the kitchen staff are shouting the balls off at each other, is it, generally? Not generally. It does happen on <laughs> occasion. It? it was peaceful <laughs> when I was in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's moments like there is in any kitchen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we try and keep it calm and disciplined where you can. Respectful. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, the, uh, where the light gets in in Stockport, which is a phenomenal yeah. restaurant. And the atmosphere in there is so serene behind the kitchen. Yeah. It's like watching ballet. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so anyway, you won this massive award, probably the ultimate award, something like you could have won in that, that day and age. It's only three years ago, isn't it? Yeah. And then you ended up getting a bit of a dream job back in Oldham, didn't you, at the Athletic? Yeah, that's right. So Oldham Athletic. To follow um, being crowned the best amateur chef in the country, <laughs> uh, I, I landed a job working at Oldham Athletic in an exec chef kind of role. I went to work in a few other restaurants after MasterChef for a while. Went to Marcus Waring, the, the Barclay, Gilbert Scott, Treadwell's, Theo Randall at the Intercontinental and Park Lane. Went over to Green's Vegetarian Restaurant, Simon Rimmer's Place, and started to learn. And that's essential because you, you're, you're nowhere near the finished article. You've got very little experience. But I think I was, I was one of the differences, I think, with MasterChef, whereas I wanted to be a chef. I want... 17 hour days I want a restaurant I want to be renowned for food and MasterChef gave me a platform to which I'm very grateful for for doing that Who were the people back then that inspired you like in terms of the, the chefs the bit the TV the celebrity chefs who were the ones that you liked and who were the ones that you weren't so keen on I think there's, there's a difference to being a celebrity chef to being a chef we're all a little bit of a showman I guess in there from time to time but when you look at your food inspirations and, and who you uh, really aspire to to watch and to be Marco, Marco Pierre White, Gordon Ramsay, people like that. Um mm. and then there's other inspirations as well, like, you know, Michael Keynes. I was lucky enough to work with him and I have done every year since. Really? Yeah, over at Bolton Food and Drink. We we do that every year. And then more recently Marcus Waring, been lucky enough to work with him. Yeah. You take bits from everywhere you go and they're all equally brilliant in their own right in, in different things and you, you get you draw influence from all over the place and people like Gordon Ramsay maybe Jamie Oliver I assume you've you've met these people and worked alongside them all now haven't you 
Yeah, a lot of them, yeah. And do they, are they nudging each other going, hey, look, it's Simon Wood. Simon Wood. <laughs> the one thing that I do that does stand out, I'm going to be completely frank with you here and honest, it takes a long time, and I'm probably still building that to be accepted in the industry because I've come from nowhere and not worked in a kitchen since I was 16. But I'm doing what these guys have worked so long to get in such a short, condensed space of time. Three years. Yeah, and yeah, all right, I've been lucky. Am I as good? Yeah, I'm doing it. You know, I've, I've, I'm not quite... A, Michelin level yet but that's what we're we might consider going we've got the Michelin recommendation we've got the rosettes we've had great reviews from the telegraph and yeah. you know I think we're punching pretty high already and that's in 12 months of the restaurant being open you know and we're successful we're profitable we're busy every day we're only getting better so mm. going back to the other point though the one thing that does stand out in me is the morning I woke up and looked at Twitter like you do you look at your notifications and one just said Gordon Ramsay follows you Brilliant. and it's like Wow. <laughs> That's nice. That's um, mental. Yeah. yeah. And if I can use the quite topical phrase, like the proof is in the pudding, as you said, your restaurant, Wood, is actually thriving at a time in a city where some far better known um, yeah, restaurants, more established. which have been iconic in recent years, are, are struggling or falling by the wayside. Yeah. So, so what's the secret? What have you done right at Wood uh, that some of these other restaurants might not have done? I like to think genuinely I'm a Manchester lad and I think I know what the people of Manchester want and like. And that's not wanky, but I don't think you can put that out in... Yeah, it's a uh, podcast. You can say what you want. All oh, right, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Then. We're not wanky. Right, but your granny Bertha might be listening. Yeah, so don't tell her that. We'll just put a little bleep over that. I think we're, we're unintimidating. We, we do nice food we, that people can understand, ingredients people can relate to, but you don't come in wood and be made to feel inferior by your server or by your sommelier and... You know, we we have got all those nice things. It's nice, it's high end, but it's unintimidating. Yeah. And the, I, I write the, the playlists for the restaurant, so it's it's totally inspired by me. We've it's not white tablecloths with a little piano playing in the background or whatever you wanna whatever people perceive to be an intimidating restaurant environment. And I think we've got that balance just right. It's vibrant, it's busy, but it's technically skilled, you're well looked after. One thing that I like to say to my staff and it's like Make the customer feel like you've got it ready just for them. Mm. That's your only table. Yeah. These are the only people that matter and make them feel like that. And we'll do the food that makes them feel like that. And together between the front and, and the back of house, the kitchen and, and like the serving staff and the you know the bar staff and the, the hosts give the ultimate experience, really look after your guests, but don't alienate them and frighten them. Just be normal. We're all from Manchester. Just be from Manchester. What advice would you give to younger people? I mean, I've mentioned to you before, my 14-year-old lad, Oscar, is, uh, he's got a lot of skills, but one of the things he's really interested in at the moment and, and doing at home with his mum is learning to make food and prepare food. He's 14. What advice would you give to somebody like that who might fancy a career in uh, food? I think, first and foremost, you've got to love it. No reason, no reason at all, just, just a passion. But practice, you know, eat out, go to different places, go and get a steak, Go and get the same steak in three different places and I bet you'll end up with it three different ways. But the one that gives it you the right way every time is where you want to go and that's where you'll learn about consistency. As an aspiring chef, it's key. It's the one thing you'll always struggle to achieve because it's always a different day. I'll tell him that. Hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about the spirit of Manchester. I mean, the main reason we're doing these podcasts is to look at the things that people love about Manchester, whether the Mancunians, born and bred here, whether the people that have come to the city and done great work here. What do you think it is about the Manchester spirit that's so beautiful? 
I think it's a unity, isn't it? It's a togetherness. We're all in it together. It's not a phrase I use, but you hear it about and it's like, we're all Manx, aren't we? And we're, we're all one. We all have the same passion. We, we love our city. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You can't go to any city in the UK that's like Manchester. Mm. Now, you can take London and, and do whatever you like with it. It's not as good as here. Going topical for me, the dining scene here, I think, is improving in vastly. We've got new restaurants coming here. We've got existing restaurants, existing independents, more importantly than chains, that are holding their own and eventually doing better. It's fantastic. You you want to be part of Manchester. Yeah, the food culture particularly, like I say, at the moment, is just uh, it's off the scale. Isn't it? Yeah. Could you imagine, ever imagine, like, say, your current businesses and future businesses make you a billion pound and somebody says, right, Sam, you can retire now. We'll look after this. We're going to move you out. We're going to live in New Zealand or whatever. Could you imagine life away from Manchester? No, it's it's in you, isn't it? It's what you are. I don't think there is anywhere better. Maybe for a week in the sun, but... I was going to say the weather. It'd be great to sort the weather out, wouldn't it? Do you know what? After last year, I don't think we can complain. <laughs> yeah. It's the best I've ever seen it. It was beautiful, but it's <laughs> yeah. slightly worrying, isn't it? No, it yeah. Remembering the kind of summers and winters that I remember as a kid where we had seasons. Nobody knows what seasons are these no. days. It's just a blur, isn't it? Yeah. What are your favourite places in the Manchester, apart from the wood, the restaurant? Yeah. What are your favourite places like clubs, bars, other restaurants, parks? Where do you like to hang out? I'm a big fan of the music venues. Obviously, the arena. Like I, I was lucky enough to go and watch Miles Kennedy at Gorilla to see such a massive name in a nice venue like that was something else. Incredible. Kylie played there, didn't she? Kylie yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, it's mental. It, it really is. And then obviously the academy. Being a chef, you're in the kitchen a lot of the time. Yeah. So music plays like a big part. Me and my, my kids all like the same sort of music. You know, we're regular download goers. We go and watch bands in and around the city. My son's a chef as well, so that's good. Does he work for you? Yeah. Does he? Yeah, in, he does, in, yeah. in wood? In wood, yeah. Oh, amazing. So, yeah, the music scene is we can go out, we can, we won't go somewhere like overly extravagant. We might have a ribeye at the restaurant or something like that, or we might just go to Almost Famous and grab a burger and then go to a gig, a few beers in and around like maybe the Northern Quarter or here and there down at the Academy. We're just normal Manchester lads that go out and have a few pints and do what normal people do. We've got such a massive range of venues. I mean, we have restaurants as well from whatever level you want, some amazing street food. Yeah like the Northern Soul, grilled cheese people, yeah, yeah. right up to, you know, yourselves and Australasia. But it's the same with the venues, isn't it? You've got like the, at one end, you've got a place like the Soup Kitchen, which probably holds 150 people. Your feet stick to the floor. It's proper seedy underground, little yeah. amazing vibe. And then yeah, at the yeah. other end, you've got one of the biggest venues in the UK, uh, the arena, which has got yeah. as much spirit to me, as much spirit and soul as, as, as the Soup Kitchen and the Night and Day. So yeah, yeah. It's all when out you, there, When you it? know what... The bands that you've watched there and things like that at the arena, even though it's so big, places like that could be a little bit, like you say, soulless, but it's not. You know what's happened there and yeah. and memories that everyone in Manchester has been there for something at some point. It's it's um, for such a big standard kind of building, if you like. It's yeah. um, It's got that feel to it when you walk in. Well, I went there to see Paul Simon at the arena and it was one of the most emotional things I've ever experienced. And it wasn't just about the music. It yeah. was about this iconic musician singer-songwriter with such a great connection to the north of England as yeah. well as he talked about on stage and knowing that this is the last time he's going to do this and it's probably the last time we're going to see him in, in the flesh so quite a, a very yeah a lot of a lot of soul in the room particularly that night what do you think of the way the city is developing architecturally at the moment I'm excited by it I've got to be honest it's growing into a I don't know what's the word metropolis <laughs> maybe yeah you drive in I live out in the countryside and it's it's nice and it's serene and it's what you want when you get home after a difficult day. But 
when you're driving in and you start to see the skyline changing shape and then everyone mentions that you can't turn a corner in Manchester without seeing a crane and eventually it's it's going to grow and it's like you go to places like New York and London and different places where they have this like metropolis city vibe and we're getting that and you can see it you can you can do anything here beautiful isn't it mm. and I suppose if you're in the restaurant business for everyone them cranes that's like another 2,000 people that might yeah. want to come and have some grub down hopefully, at your gaff, isn't hopefully, it? Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny talking to like venue owners, they're, they're worrying about that, that same development. And as a lot of us musicians are, are hoping that it strikes the right balance, you know what I mean? That we, we, we do get these amazing architectural masterpieces being put up. But hopefully it won't kill all our venues off too much. Because I suppose at the end of the day, all them people that are moving into the city are going to want to go and watch a band, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're going to so, want to watch bands, they're going to want to eat, they're going to go out for cocktails, drinks... Yeah. For me, it can only enhance the already best city in the country. And I believe you're doing a bit of running, Simon. That's right, yeah. I'm training for the London Marathon in April. So I'm running for a charity called Grief Encounter right. for bereaved children, something that's quite close to my heart. Yeah. There's a, a just giving page out there for anyone that's uh, feeling generous. It'd be much appreciated. Brilliant. Are you in shape? Have you been doing much running? Yeah, I'm running. I did my first half marathon as, as this session on Saturday before service, which was a bit of a stretch before 200 covers. But yeah, um, yeah got through it okay. I've got another yeah. one this coming Saturday, so all going well. I've started running for the first time in my life. Well, I used to run at school, obviously, because you had to run, because yeah. they'd say you've got to run, or you've got to play rugby. But never run in my life until, um, well, apart from running for buzzes and that. Yeah. But me and my wife have started doing couch to 5K. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's a good idea. I think it's... Uh, it, it's always good to, I find sometimes I run for my mind, not my body. And it's a good head clearer. I think of my best dishes food-wise when I'm out running, definitely. Brilliant. If I was to say to you, Simon, who are your favourite humans of Excess Manchester ever, past or present, who would they be? Paul Scholes, got to be honest. He's an older lad. Yeah. He scores goals. Yeah, that's good. Has <laughs> yeah. he been into wood yet and had some food? He's not, no, Has not yet. Not? No, I did play football with him the other the other week uh, yeah. in a charity game. Honestly, I played up front with Andy Ritchie, who's my number two right. in, in this list. I know Andy. He's a good lad, isn't he? Yeah, because he, he's, he's a Manchester lad. Yeah. Um, and then it's not so much a person, it's the band. And that, for me, is Stone Roses. It resonates with me about a time in my life when you were growing up with just lost dad it was quite difficult but it's something that sticks in my mind and you know a lot of the manchester bands like i touched on earlier they're on the playlist at the restaurant but they sit alongside guns and roses or alice cooper or alter bridge and bands like that so i think stone roses for me is is something that really resonates with manchester from my point of view it's um it was a big part nice before you go simon describe manchester in three words manchester in three words it's it's probably the toughest thing I've had to think about this, if I'm honest. So Manchester in three words for me is passionate, pioneering, brilliant. I'm loving that. Simon Wood, thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. Pleasure, thank you. That was Simon Wood. This is the last episode in Series 1 of Humans of Excess Manchester. We've loved doing the first series and we're excited that we'll be back soon, bigger and better than ever. We'll be continuing with Series 2 on the 4th of March. Feel free to revisit the episodes that we've released in the last couple of months and don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Humans Excess and subscribe to Humans Excess Manchester. Rate us, feel free to leave us a comment if you like what we're doing. Spread the word. Thanks very much and see you in a few weeks' time.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.